Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 18 of Paranormal Pendle, uh, and this is the first episode of 2022. We're broadcasting to the Paranormal UK radio network at paukradio.com. So for the first episode of 2022, I'm delighted that my guest is uh, Richard Rokeby, who um, is an author, a researcher with a keen interest in history, mysteries and forbidden knowledge. He has previously served in the British Army and the UK Police. He holds an advanced certificate in education from Canterbury Christchurch University. He's a qualified police detective and has diplomas in criminology and ufology. Um, and he lives in Warwickshire and uh, he's married with three children. So, uh, Richard, thank you very much for coming on the episode. Um, really pleased to talk to you. That's all right, Craig. Uh, thanks ever so much for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I suppose, really, I'd just like to start off with a, um, a little bit of background about yourself. Um, really, how your uh, interest in, in ufology started? Well, I, I, I suppose I've been a child of the 70s. Um, I suppose we have a, a lot of influences around that time, sort of Star Wars was, uh, was just sort of coming onto the scene. Uh, and um, a couple of other films uh, as well, which is Close Encounters of the Third Kind and, and E.T. sort of all came at about the same time. And they, they sort of piqued an interest in me, particularly um, Close Encounters of the Third T Kind, which I think is probably close, as time goes on, seems to be closer and closer to the truth. But, um, you know, as a, as a contrast to Star Wars, which is all sort of fantastical stuff, um, Close Encounters felt very real and felt as though you could sort of reach out and touch it and interact with what was going on. So I think that started my interest. And then uh, back in the day when you used to walk into libraries, I used to just go into the library and, and grab a few books on UFOs uh, and, and read through them, you know, over, over the summer, whatever. So I built up a, an interest there uh, and then never really did anything with it, but it was always on the back of my mind um started watching some programs uh on you know the various uh, channels and the hundreds of thousands of channels you get nowadays uh, and ancient aliens really caught my attention i think that's a fantastic program i think it's wearing a bit thin now but back, back in the first you know 10 11 series or something that it, 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 it was you know fantastic just to look at different aspects of the phenomena um from different angles yeah so that got me back into it really um and then i'd been carrying this story or this idea for a book around for about 20 years yeah. and um <clears throat> as we sort of went into lockdown that seemed a good opportunity to try and uh, put something down so um uh yeah so and that's that's how the book came uh, came about really it was originally supposed to be um, a couple of articles yeah <clears throat> excuse me but um i had a chat with um the great philip mantle of course and uh, from flying disc uh, press and uh, he suggested we turn it into a 
a book there's just enough for a book it's quite a concise um book but um there was enough there for a book so um the book was produced and i you know we're really pleased with it really pleased with the feedback i've got and it you know it's people seem to genuinely enjoy it families or people that not just you know people that are ufo enthusiasts or but local history enthusiasts and and people like to read the book and then go to the area and have a look around for themselves so yeah it's um it's all gone really well so the book is called uh, the lights upon the hills and it's about the burton dasset ufo events of 1923 is that right yes that's right yeah yeah I, I'll be uh, honest with you. I know I know absolutely nothing about this event. So um, if you could if you could tell us a little bit about it, that that'd be yeah, good. of course. Yeah. Um, so um, I suppose it started off with a series of sightings in the in the Burton Dasset Hills. So the, the Burton Dasset Hills are in in Warwickshire, where where I now live. Uh, about um, maybe 10 miles south of me. It's about 30 miles south of Birmingham, uh, 20 miles or so uh, north of Oxford. And um, uh, Warwickshire, uh, for, you know, for your international listeners, if you like, um, is quite a, it's relatively flat county. It's sort of rolling um, fields and uh, rolling countryside. Yeah. Um, and the Burton Dasset Hills, although not particularly high, I think they come up to the highest point is about 260 metres. Um, they do stand out. They are quite prominent in the area because there is there's nothing out west until you start getting to the Molfin Hills. Yeah. And then onto Wales, etc. And then out east, it sort of runs down perhaps Bradgate Park a bit further north. And then it goes down basically to the wash and the fens so it, it gets flatter as you go on yeah. um so yeah so it it, it is quite a un, unique area if you like um in in this in this part of the world mm -hmm. and it's got sort of five hills two sort of big hills at the back which are part of the sort of countryside that raise the level and then three sort of prominent hills at the front and burton dasset park it, it's now it's now a country park so people spend their weekends and walk their dogs there and park up and, and look at the, the views. It's the only way really to get an overview of the counties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what it is now. But um, back in medieval times, there was a small village um, there. It has a church, which no doubt I'll come on to, but um, nothing really uh, marked it out um, as, as naught other than it was, it was quite high, but the village, was fairly successful when the markets were, were big during the sort of uh, mi uh, middle ages mm -hmm. and then a number of sort of um, evil landlords and the Black Death yeah. uh, helped to sort of thin out the population <laughs> it was it was abandoned in the medieval uh, times yeah um, and then it was just known as a sort of local area people obviously go to the go to the church still and walk up and down the hills mm. it sort of picked up again in uh just before the first world war as an iron ore mine there's a number of iron ore mines that were put there and there was a train line put up and that was uh to, to move the iron ore onto the main line so it's quite well serviced by trains and there's a london birmingham train not too far um train line not too far away um, and, and it sort of carried on on, it, on its own and until 
1922, 23, uh, when we start to get a series of reports appearing in the local papers and national papers of people sort of seeing lights um, of all different, all, all different colours, mm. generally red, red, white, bluish tints, mm. uh, but at different times, moving at, at different speeds, different altitudes, um, and, uh, you know, causing, a, what the term, a bit of a flap. Yeah. Uh, and people were, were, were going up and, and reporting, seeing them. And then it got to such a fever pitch around about February 1923 that the, the London papers were sending up reporters, Birmingham, and, and where I got a lot of my reports from was the Banbury Gazette. Right. And um, they, were, they were sort of making reports of these, these lights that were being seen on the hills. Mm. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because 1923, I mean, obviously there was there was air travel at the time, but not in any um, uh, quantity that, that we have today. So, I mean, when you see lights in the sky today, the first thing you think of is, is could it be an aircraft? I suppose back in 1923, they might have had a slightly different um, outlook on, on what it could be. I mean, was it was the... I think what I'm trying to get at was... Was there a thought initially that it could be aircraft of some type or or did that not sort of enter into the reports? No, no, it didn't really. Of course, to, to, if it, it was reported today now, we'd say it's drones. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the way that they were, um, they were reported in 1923 was quite similar to that. So relatively small lights, you know, described as the size of a perhaps a car headlamp, motorbike headlamp, um, move, moving around. Um, there was one report of a figure of being in one of the lights, so obviously they would have been a bit bit mm. bigger. Um, but uh, they weren't really attributed to um, aircraft, air, you know, aircraft 1923, so just 20 or so years after the Wright brothers. Yeah. You know, we're still, obviously we've had the um, a, a massive sort of uh, boost of the First World War in terms yeah. of technology, mm-hmm. but there's still predominantly loud, big biplanes, noisy biplanes, particularly yeah. in, in private hands. So, no, it wasn't really aircraft. It was it, it people believed, with absolute good reason, that they, they were ghosts. Okay, and that, and they, and they were often described as ghosts or spirits. Or, um, Dr. David Clark did a really good paper many years ago called spook lights which is about the, the same incident of the lights being seen um, it doesn't go into further details around the surrounding area and looked at it holistically a bit like i have but mm. he still did a very good paper on it uh, so spook lights are sort of known but I, I think the the idea of it was they were ghosts really came from you know the after the first world war the interest in spiritualism and mediumship increased yeah. Yeah. Um, because people, you know, not just the First World War, but the Spanish flu, which is obviously mm. very current at the moment as well. But um yeah. you know, people people wanted to believe that they would see their their sort of uh, children and relatives again. Um so it, it was a known practice that if lights were reported or ghosts were reported on a certain area, it wasn't it wasn't common by any means, but it was reported elsewhere in the country you know around that sort of time that people would go as a bit of a sort of um jaunt a bit of a trip out well let's go up the hills and see if we can see the see the ghosts or see the lights yeah um so i could completely understand why uh you know in the context of the time 
before the term UFO had been exist, you know, been coined or anything like that uh, was known about, really. Um, then, uh, yeah, people people put the lights down to ghosts. That's interesting. Uh, did, did you manage to find any sort of first-hand um, accounts then of, of the lights? Did anybody give interviews to the papers? And like you said, a lot of the bigger metropolitan papers came up to have a look. Yeah, so the my my um, um, book is, is based on sort of two main sources. So the, the first one is the Banbury Gazette. They seem to re- record uh, uh, most of, of, of the accounts. Uh, and there's a reporter there that discusses coming up and... and being a bit sceptical, I guess, as, as reporters are. Yeah. Uh, and then having this, and then sort of seeing the lights um, and speaking to the locals. Uh, and then the other sort of source was um, um, quite a, an old book now called Ghosts of Warwickshire, um, uh, written by Betty Smith, who was a sort of well-respected local historian. And she, she did this book, which was a series of short chapters around different ghosts around Warwickshire but this this one chapter when I when I first read it sort of stood out to me and it was only two or three pages and it described that you know the lights on hill on uh, hills hmm. um, and it's included in a ghost book because people thought they were ghosts but when I when I read when I read it I thought this, this sounds to me through the, you know the, the the prism of you know the, the modern the modern understanding around UAPs and UFOs. This sounds like you know a mass UFO event, um, and really that was the angle I sort of I sort of give the book. But to, to answer your question, Craig, yeah, there, there is there is I think I've got about six or seven accounts in the in the book, uh, which range from um, the maids <clears throat> that were working in the vicarage uh, to motorcyclists travelling uh, back home late at night uh, to a signal box man for the railway line that saw. An, an orange orb, what you describe as an orange orb, hmm. uh, appear outside the, the front of his signal box. Okay. And he and he and he was so concerned that he actually rang the local police, right, to to come out to it. And they they did they did attend. So, um, yeah, there, there is there is, uh, you know, I think it's seven or eight um, uh, sort of accounts detailed in 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 the book. So. It, it was well recorded. Some mm. names have been lost to history. Other, others we know. Um, but there was certainly, you know, it was probably seen by hundreds of, of people. Okay. You know, it, it was just that the, the paper managed to get hold and, tra- and track down and get sort of accounts yeah. uh, from a number of them. So were, were the accounts um, similar? Were people seeing similar things or um, were they seeing different? I mean, you mentioned different coloured lights, uh, were they at different heights or different distances? Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think they were they were they were, they were broadly similar in as much as they were fairly small, hmm. relatively small. Okay. Sometimes they've been they, they're described as you know look as if they're looking for something, so moving in an organised pattern. Sometimes it'd be one, sometimes it'd be three or four. Um, the uh, sometimes they'd just be doing their own thing. Bob, bobbing along yeah. you know, under, over the undulating hills. Other times there, were, there was a, an account uh, where a lady in, in one, of their, one of the bigger houses um, there, which could have been the vicarage. Uh, we can't exactly tie down which house it was, but there is quite a nice you know, vicarage next, mm. next to the church. But we say vicarage, you know, it's, it's close to a sort of um, country pile. You know, it's quite a big 
sort of manor house really. And there is an account that um, at one point the light um, illuminated a room significant um, sufficiently enough that people could read by whether they did read by I don't know but wow. they, they use the description that it, it, it illuminated the, the room yeah. um, so they could read by it so you know what technology was around at that time that could do that well certainly nothing that could 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 fly if you like but the, you know the old search lights for the zeppelins could probably yeah. produce that amount of of light but that's you know that that's not what it was it was described as a small light that chose to light up a room yeah um so i, I think there was some intelligent intelligence behind it um behind that they don't seem to be uh, uh random um you know i've just i discuss in the in the book the, the you know the norway lights the um uh, the, the ones that go down the sort of down the valleyways in, in norway okay. um and i and and, and to, to me, that's they seem a more of a, a natural phenomena. Yeah, uh, and I've never heard fairly... of that. Yeah, sorry, I've, I've the, never heard of that. So yeah, the, the I'm trying to remember the name of the place now, but I think it's I think it's called the Winfarnan Lights or the Wilfarnan Lights. Okay, I have, I have sort of uh, wrote a little bit about it, um, but they seem to be more of a natural uh, phenomenon. Right. Um, but uh, th these lights do seem to be in some sort of in, intelligent control mm. i say there's only one report of uh someone who says that they thought they saw a figure in the lights but mm. for me i think there's some sort of you know perhaps artificial intelligence you know if, if we're saying that they're they the ufos or uaps you know it, it, they're perhaps close to probes yeah um, than you know um organic sort of beings if you like yeah, that's that's the the sort of impression that I'm getting from from what you're describing that the sort of like probes or um, you know some sort of um, small craft that might not necessarily have a um, shall we say a creature in, you know yeah. inside it the more sort of remote control was was there any um, indication that there might have been a bigger ship that that had been seen or bigger lights. Yeah, it's a good question, Craig. No, there wasn't really. No, there wasn't. There was nothing, um, you know, there was no sort of huge uh, Independence Day type flying, hmm. you know, craft anywhere in the area. It was, it was just these lights and, it, and it, it seemed to go between a specific period as well. Okay. Um, you know, between that sort of um, late December 22 to February 1923, right. which I think as well, if it was happening all the time, it said that's more of a natural phenomenon. But this was yeah. well documented between those sort of two or three months over the Christmas period. So clearly they went there all the time. So they were going somewhere else at some point. But they were bit where being drawn to that area. And I, and, I, and I speculate in the book why that was. Was it something to do with the uh, topography of the area? Was it something mm. to do with the iron ore? Yeah. Um, in yeah. there. Yeah, that, uh, as you were telling me, I was I've been scribbling notes down, and I actually wrote iron ore with a with a question mark next to it, um, mm. because you know I I do believe that um, the topography of the land and the geological makeup of land can be uh, almost act like a magnet for certain types of um, unexplained phenomena. Um, we we have similar things around here. I live quite close to Pendle Hill, um, and we have yes. similar things around here as well. It's 
not only well known for witchcraft, but it's it's also very well known for, for UFOs and UAPs. So, so that's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned about the sort of lay of the land, the makeup of the land. I, mean, I, I assume that it's all sort of just um, pasture and, and, you know, slightly elevated. There's, there's, there's no um, marshes or anything like that that could perhaps produce marsh gas or something like that. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it is does seem to be the UF, the ufologist nemesis, isn't it? It's mm. swamp gas, and and, yeah. and 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 swamp gas was um, uh, blamed or attributed uh, to these lights at one point, but that seems to be based around one particular sighting a, a chap by the name um, of uh, I think it's George Catterall. Okay. He was a local. Um, uh, groom, so he worked with the horses in the stables, and he was leading a horse back from. So there's sort of two villages, uh, Fenny Compton and North End, which sort of bookend yeah. the, the hills. And he was leading the horse back through North End, and when he he saw what was described as a bluish reddish light hovering above um, uh, a pool. So this 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 was sort yeah. of uh, February time 1923 uh, and that report was 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 captured as well um, and then what happened was e even back in 1923 the the idea of swamp gas mass gas uh dysphos um uh, fluorescent gas sorry mm. is 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 the sort of chemical makeup of it yeah. um was sort of attributed to it but it, once you do a bit of research in, in, into marsh gas hmm. um, or swamp gas, you realise it, it, it is quite small. It's a bit like a blue flame from the old Bunsen burners used to get in school. It, it, it can move, uh, but it's, it's very, doesn't, it, it, it sort of uh, doesn't last for very long. It'll only move a couple of metres or so, then it will, will burn out. Yeah. Uh, and it's really difficult to produce. And generally it's produced in hot, wet environments and, hmm. You know, uh, Warwickshire is quite wet in February, but it's not by no means hot. <laughs> no. So, um, and today is good testament to that because <laughs> it's it's freezing here. But um, yeah, the, yeah. So you know, to give it some, you know, it, it was that sort of excuse. And back in 1923, was true that oh, it'd be marsh gas. And yeah. then um, the Times um, did an article on it in 2002, 2003. Um, uh, just you know um sort of the 80th um, anniversary of it or so right uh, and they um they the the reporter there and the, the, the report is in is in the book they sort of uh, believed it was it was uh, swamp gas marsh gas that was causing all of the uh, right, okay. <laughs> all of the sightings which of course mm. it, it couldn't be and and and, and certainly i think you know, if you spent any time with horses, generally they're not that phased by naturally occurring events, no. but they are by things that are sort of mechanical, etc. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was that was put forward as as a possible explanation. So, did did, did the did the horse react badly then to this or? or... Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they, they, they give the description of, of the horse. Um, uh, sort of, um, you know, acting up, rearing up, which yeah. I think was probably maybe, you know, just reading between the lines, maybe what um, caught um, caught the, the groom's attention, I guess. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, 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 I think these these um, 
uh, reasons are oft, often given. Um, you know, it would have been at the time to say, well, these aren't ghosts. These are, yeah. this is swamp, swamp gas, but... Um, yeah, they just tend since, to try, try and find an explanation, don't they? That doesn't yeah. necessarily fit. It's, yes. It just makes, and, them, and, makes them feel better that they've, they've solved the mystery, in effect. Yeah, and, and I think actually the, the, you know, the Operation Blue Book with Dr. Heineck, etc., that didn't, you know, it, it was soon becoming... You know, it lo they lost a lot of credibility by blaming a lot on that. People were seeing all sorts of crafts with orange lights and, and triangle crafts. And yeah. but if there was anywhere near a pool, <clears throat> they were saying, "Oh, it could be marsh gas." Yeah. And it's clearly it's not what's being described. No, and I give a couple of examples in the book. But, um, yeah. Just could to go back, just to go back on your point, point there, because I'm interested in what you said around um, Pendle Hill, etc. Yeah, and how the the um, makeup of a place can can affect what happens there. Mm. It's the um, Hestalen lights in, in Norway, um, and if you've not seen it, Craig, then it's it's probably worth just you know googling a few yeah. oh, um, well. things about it. And it, it is really interesting as to what is is causing that. And there's a whole range of theories and some, but it seems you know it's, it seems to be quite regularly observed. Mm. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that'd be worth looking at. I think. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's it's something. It's a it's a theory that, I mean, I'm I, you know I'm not saying that um, the geology, the makeup of an area, um, necessarily means that any unexplained event that happens there, you can explain away by it being natural. Um, I tend to subscribe more to the theory that that it acts as a magnet almost for, um, you know phenomena that, that, that you can't necessarily just explain away as being natural um, and I think it's interesting that, that you mentioned about the iron ore because that almost there was like a big light bulb appeared above my head when you were when you were talking about that because that to me would seem to suggest that I mean you know do you think that that it was that that was that was bringing these um, these lights into the area if I'm honest, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure what it was. It could have contributed to it, but I, I think you're right about that point you make about certain areas, and mm. and certain areas seem to attract um, these type of um, phenomena and, and sort of mystical events. But I suspect they've always done it. You know, going back to ancient ancient Britons, or you know, all all the way back to perhaps to um stone age time or bronze age times i just think certain areas you know i i think the the wiltshire downs obviously you've got um uh um Avebury and stonehenge and, yeah. and all this sort of fantastic places there but there is something very special i think about that area there's yeah. a there's a different glow to it in the sun because of the chalk yeah. There's a different glow in the, and, and Glastonbury and these sort of places. Mm. I just think of a, a, an intrinsically special yeah. and they've always attracted, for whatever reason, they've always attracted phenomena to it. And, you know, in, within, within this history of Burton Dasset, um, you know, I think the, the, the church does play a part. And I, and I think that the church is describing within its artwork and carvings you know, a, a, um, a fantastic event that happened happened either, you know, 600 years ago or perhaps 1,200 years ago or perhaps even longer. Right. And I think it's, and I, I do think it's these areas that just 
yeah. attract them. There's areas in, in Scotland and in, in the you know in the northeast, Pendle will be one. Even parts of London, I spent a lot of time in London. And if you're in the city of London, there is there is deep, deep history there. Mm. You know, and you go to places like St. Paul's Cathedral, there'll always be some religious um, significance, you know, the area. Uh-huh. Um, and you've got and you've got the sort of um the temples of Mithra and all that underneath tower, uh, underneath the, the banks and everything. Yeah. Um it, it I think it, the there's just these areas around the country that are sort of wells for it, I guess. <laughs> wells for mystical phenomena. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe it, actually. Um I'm just interested in, in, in what you mentioned about the church. Then, I mean, how first of all, how old is the church, do you think? Or have, have you got a rough idea when it was built? Um, and and secondly, really, you, you mentioned that about um, some sort of depiction within the church. I mean, can, can, you, can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Because I find that really interesting, actually. Yeah, so the I think, I think you know, in more general terms, I think what I've done with the book is I've just looked at um, a number of different anomalies in the area which suggest that there is something that has gone on here that may go on again and has been going on for some time and uh, and one of which is is the church so the church is was originally a saxon nave it was detailed in the doomsday book uh, 1087 i think the doomsday book was um as as a saxon nave um and then it it seemed to get it, it was a it was it's in a bit of a so it's up, up on the hills but it's in a bit of a dip within the hills mm. and if you didn't know it was there you might well miss it because the road goes sort of above it um but when you get there you realize it is it got a major investment probably around about the 14th century the normans would have expanded it but then around about the 14th century it got quite a big investment and as you go in it's all since church as you go in through the north door so in um within churches or around churches the north side of a church is traditionally held to be the evil side um so so, you know the the altar would obviously be east yeah um, generally it is but the the north side would generally have all that where the gargoyles are etc on on, on churches and and that was to be the, the north side and the main entrance is on is on the north side and as you walk through, you, you're met above the main doorway by, by lots of orbs that have been carved out of the stone. Um, so, you know, in churches, you'll often see something quite ornate or yeah. a proverb or something. And within the, within the church, as you first walk in, there's just these, these stone orbs, which is sort of unusual in itself. Mm. But then as you walk into the church, you know, I describe it in the book as sort of expansive but sparse so it, it's a huge space mm. um and it's sometimes called the cathedral in the hills or the, the cathedral in the cotswolds the church um uh, but um it's not like uh roslyn chapel where you know people who have been there will, will know it's sort of crammed full and every single bit of stonework is, uh, or you know surface has got some sort of ornate uh, carving or picture on it. That, it this isn't like this at all it, it would be a traditional sort of quite spartan church but uh the the on the just on the north side only so again to that evil side hmm. the columns that support the the roof at the column bases uh where where, where the the have the um, stone that goes up to support the roof they, they are carved 
and um there is there is other churches with carving carvings on nice. um it's not that unique but it, you know that it is it is it's not commonplace yeah but within the carvings as well i think are interesting because the, the carvings depict you know fairly normal scenes some you know on, on some of the pillars uh hunting scenes etc but yeah. other ones the, the first ones you go in is is the is a, a green man is depicted right so the, the the green man is and i don't i know you'll know this better than i will craig so please no. um, add into it but um <laughs> the, the green man is is an old english ancient symbol yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a man using uh, um, but the the face and the and in this case the uh, the body as well is often depicted by plants and vegetables yeah. etc. Yeah. So there's a green man in in there, but and the, the green man, my understanding is that it it represents the joining of two cultures or you know so particularly yeah. in the church it was to do with paganism and christianity yeah. coming together yeah yeah um and and again i i, I don't think you know it, it has occurred elsewhere where there's green men in churches but it's still pretty rare mm. um and again when you take it in context with it with everything else but you know is it is it saying something else is it you know joining mm. of, of of two other worlds perhaps yeah. two of the yeah, two of the um uh, civilizations etc but mm. i just think it's really interesting it's there but then there is there is other carvings there is, there is a carving of a half man half dragon type creature which again is unusual for a church yeah and then my favorite there is there is a chair there is a chase scene so a hunting scene but the two of the animals are carved as if they're upside down mm. so you've got the horse and the dogs chasing around and then the dogs, the, the two of the animals, which I think are a sheep and, and something else, and a, and a deer, are carved upside down. So almost as if they've been levitated, and the yeah. idea is that they're up in the sky. Yeah. So I, th I think that's that's really interesting. And, you know, obviously there's pictures in the book and people can, can make their own mind up. Yeah. Um, and then there is the... There is the um, the medieval artwork so i'm i you know i'm, I'm no expert in, in medieval uh art at all but i've done a bit of research um and the you know the, what's depicted above the main um part of the church where the altar is 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 a two you know giant depictions of um saint Ma uh, saint michael and uh, the virgin mary but then off round to the side in the, the sort of um uh, north, again on the north side of the wall is um, a depiction of two of two kings so uh, well I look like kings so uh, the official history would say that the the first king is he's he's depicted holding his own head okay. um, and, and we think that's probably Saint Ethelbert right. and they have crowns on etc but hmm. Saint Ethelbert was a Northumbria Northumbrian prince that came down to Mercia um, to marry a um, Mercian princess and become king of Mercia, but he wouldn't renounce his Christian faith, so he he was beheaded, mm. um, and uh, he was taken and he and he's buried somewhere in the region of Hereford Cathedral. Okay. And when you read into Saint Ethelbert, there there is quite a lot of phenomena associated wherever his body was left. Okay. On, on the way into Hereford. Yeah. Um, and then the, the the second depiction, again, looks like a king, uh, regally dressed, regal beard, regal crown. 
Um, but uh, in his uh, left hand, which is held up in the air, there is a, bo a bottle or an orb or a container of some description. And, and the, again, the official history would say that that would probably be St. Oswald, because hmm. he is often depicted holding an, um, an orb, or it's one of the Magi, one of the, one of the um, wise men from the yeah. Nativity story. But there was nothing else really to suggest it's linked to the nativity story. It seems out. It seems mm. a bit out of the way. But mm. you know, my my eureka moment for from this whole um, you know adventure of researching it and, and writing the book was when I when I, ha I had a look at the picture on the wall. You can see that this bottle orb isn't actually on the king's hand. It's floating two or three inches above it. Okay. And it's been depicted deliberately that way. Yeah, it's been obscured. The gap between the hand and the bottom of the bottle has been obscured either through natural corrosion or, you know, somebody in the church not liking it. <laughs> um, but um, when you look at the the bottle, it's sort of um, it's sort of thick round in the middle. It's got a little bit on the on the on the top. It's got a, what you would term to be a base. But there's undulating lines around the you know the the middle main mm -hmm. bit of the of the bottle, which could suggest movement or rotation. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I just and I just think when you take it into context of everything else that's going on in Britain, that's it. Mm. You know, is 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 these are 14th century drawings of 9th century saints, effectively. Mm. Yeah. So are, are they telling us a story about something that happened there, or is it depiction of a local king or dignitary that witnessed mm. a flying orb and, and wanted to show that you know it'd be attributed to it or be connected to it, that they're in some sort of control of it by having it depicted floating above their hand? Um, I don't suppose we'll ever know, but I, I you know, that you know, pictures are in the book. People can mm. have a look or visit, the, you know, visit the church with the book yeah. and uh, you know make their own make their own mind up but uh, i just i just did really have that sort of eureka moment when i, yeah, when I studied it and thought yeah you know that, that that object is floating above the king's hand <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean it, well it certainly sounds credible um that you know they would leave i mean they they, they tended to leave little clues around didn't they um well, they, mainly because they didn't really understand what they were seeing so they, they probably attributed something religious to it and and that's why they they put these images in the church. I would imagine. I mean, I don't know. I'm no expert myself, but um, well, the it, fact that it survived really is incredible yeah. as well. Because it, it, as you probably know, you know, during Oliver Cromwell's reign and the, and the, and the Purit, Puritan era, very often the um, works of art. Most churches were decorated, is my yeah. understanding. But yeah. they were they were whitewashed out, they were painted over, they were scraped for walls. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that these have survived, you know, is 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 again unusual. Mm, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Do you think it's because it was probably um fairly sparsely populated and quite out of the way or what do you think? Yeah, were... yeah. Yeah. I think that could that could be one of the reasons that they're also very impressive, even for the time they are yeah. very impressive. Yeah. Um, and I just think people thought, oh, well, if, you know, if I don't tell Oliver Cromwell, you know, <laughs> then you don't, then they'll be all right. You know, where just didn't get around. And, yeah. and funny, that is a funny link, actually, because on all of it's Edge Hill isn't not too far away. And we've got oh, okay. the, we had the Battle of Edge Hill mm. um, in 1600, 1642, I think. Which was and, the, uh, a battle of the Civil War, wasn't it? If people... Yeah, battle of the English Civil War. Yeah. And and it is reported that it's described that um, Oliver Cromwell kept his head down 
in the in Burton, that's it. <laughs> oh, during, okay. during the battle. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, so, so he, Yeah, so if, if he had been to the church, then he would have he would have seen these artworks and perhaps um despite his uh his predilection to painting things over with whitewash, he probably he he may well have realized that there was some um yeah. stronger significance to to what he was looking at, which is interesting. Maybe yeah. maybe he was told about things that were going on at that time. I mean, who knows? Do you think do you think then that the, the there's obviously I mean how far away is is the site of the battle then? Because obviously they'll you know there'll be an awful lot of energy, won't there still, you know, sort of attached yeah. attached to that area. And I'm wondering whether whether that has anything to do with that. Yeah, it could it, it could be. So yeah, I mean the, the the edge hill is the is only uh, maybe four or five miles away. It's 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 not too far at all. It's not a particularly high hill, you know. No, nobody fights uphill if no. you can help it. But it is the the area is called Edge Hill. Yeah. Uh, and even the so I think it was October sixteen forty two was the battle, and then the Christmas Eve of that year there was report of ghostly noises and okay. and and, and uh, sounds of battle coming from the hills which terrified the locals yeah of course uh, and I, and i think and I, and I think that's interesting as well and about mm. you know if if we you know you work on the the, the theory that it, in in moments of high mm. tension emotion you know horrors yeah. you know the the area can capture something mm. you know that that would have been the first battle on british soil probably since Baden Hill, you know, in 900 odd and, um, mm. uh, you know, big battle. So, yeah. uh, again, that's interesting. It has been reported since, uh, you know, ghostly noise battles on Edge Hill. So, yeah, I mean, it all sort of adds to the mystique of the area. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And, and I mean, obviously, you've done an awful lot of research into it and and it's it's pretty evident to me that, that when you put all the research together, it's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, isn't it? But it, it becomes more and more the, the argument for for something going on that, that can't be explained is 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 more and more compelling, really, from from what you've said. Um, I mean, just just going back then to, to the events of, of 1923, I mean, what sort of what sort of t- you said it was about three months was 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 that it did it just suddenly start to suddenly stop or or have there been um reported uh incidents since um so there's not been any sort of yeah it did just seem to be for that sort of that that period okay. there's not been massive amounts of incidents that anywhere else because it's high mm. um then there has been some reports of ufo activity flying you know, there was a there was quite a good um, photo that you can find on the internet, which somebody just take day tripping and seen a sort of um, orb flashing across the, the sky, which I think was taken in the nineties. Um, but there's there's not been any major major reports uh, there that I that I'm aware of, no more than perhaps any other area. But it, it did just seem to to have this activity mm. between this period that we're aware of, and then who knows? I mean. You know, it'd be the hundred-year anniversary next year now, yeah. which you know is a blinking of cosmic time, isn't it? So, um, so, so it might be that you know every three, you know, if we go back to those carvings and the and the the, the um, medieval art, which was, I say, fourteenth century, actually every six uh, six hundred years mm. it isn't probably if you know if it is advanced technology. You know, six hundred years might be might be nothing to them. Might be the next, 
you know, time they they pass by sort of thing on the way from somewhere else. So, um, so no, I I I don't think there's there's been any regular um, instance there. I obviously keep an eye out, talk to locals there. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the locals are are good. I think they take it in their stride. I was as part of my research, I went to the pub, Craig. <laughs> I'm willing to do these things. And, it's, a, um, it's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. Yes, exactly. And um, I spoke to the local barmaid, and I was—I had a really good chat with a chap in there who knew all about the railways, yeah. how they're linked to the military bases, etc. Okay. Uh, and I had a chat with the barmaid there and said, "Do you know? Have you ever heard of any stories of any strange lights or strange activity within the hills?" And she said, uh, "I think she was a bit busy, but she said that uh, all I know is." That the Knights Templars buried all their treasure there. All right, <laughs> and then and, and then walked <laughs> off. <laughs> and I try to get a bit, and I try to get a bit more. Oh, really? Well, that that would be something, wouldn't it? If you've yeah. got the, you know, the Holy Grail buried somewhere and, <laughs> under That's, there, and it's supposed to be buried at uh, Glastonbury on, uh, under Glastonbury Tor, I think, isn't it? That's one of the. Yes, yes, it is. The, but uh, there is a Templar con- connection where the, where the military base is is called Temple Hedwig. And um, so there, there was Templars in, in the area. So I guess that's where it's okay. originated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how, we, how these local um, local legends sort of start and then they just snowball over the years and, and you know, you, you end up with, with something that's quite... I mean, I'm sure your eyebrows went up when she said that. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. Yeah, I wanted to come back to try and get some more drinks out of her to, to yeah. try and get a bit more. She said, "My husband knows all about it." I was, I was, I was she knew, but yeah, yeah, no. um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, uh, have you have you ever seen anything, or have have you ever seen anything? Not necessarily in that area. Have, have you ever seen any UFOs yourself or UAPs? Or I I I don't think I I have. But we I did have and I detail it in in the book. We we I obviously spent a lot of time up there and we go up at different times of yeah. the night and then particularly in February and uh, we we stayed me and a, and a and a friend of mine went up uh, one February evening uh, and it's a fantastic place to see. You know, we've got Orion there, all the stars are out and um. We we set up some observation posts, I suppose you'd want to, you'd call them, uh, just to keep you know find out what was happening in the area, get a sense of it all. Yeah, and uh, it was in February. It was absolutely freezing, but I had a sort of flask with us <laughs> and and underneath a ground sheet. Yeah, and um, I felt I, I did fall asleep. And when when I, I was woke up by a noise, so the the M forty is not too far away. But three o'clock in the morning, you know, you can't really hear it at that at that stage. But I, I woke up to um to a sound um and it was like an industrial whirring rotating sound okay and it vroom, 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 vroom. And, yeah. it, and it got louder and louder and louder and um it's about three o'clock in the morning and um it seemed to be coming all around me as so i was in the middle of it mm. you know from all directions all at once um and it was it was incredible i was you know I know I had just come around for a minute sleep, but I was definitely awake because the cold just grabs you straight away. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm freezing. But there was this noise and it went on for a good five or six minutes and it was, seemed to be increasing. And I thought, well, what, what is going And, you know, I, I, I didn't sense anything else. There was no lights above me. There was no change in the atmosphere or static or anything. But there was just this really, really loud noise. And then it just stopped and it just, it just, it just went. And um, 
I woke up my friend had also fallen asleep in the other part of the park. Yeah. And I said, do you hear that? Do you hear that? It's not, I didn't, didn't hear anything. Yeah. Oh, right, okay, not, not sure. But um, I carried on, sort of recorded it, of course, and I checked my watch like all, you know, yeah. good ufologists do, make sure there's no missing time, which there wasn't, but it did go on for about six six minutes or so. That must have been quite but scary, just, actually. That must have been quite scary. Though. Well, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it was, it was just really strange. I kept mm-hmm. thinking, am I hearing this? Yeah. Am I actually, and I am, I am, and I'm thinking to myself, I am hearing this. So what is it? And you couldn't see anything. I said, there's no light. And you're up on a hill mm. and it's, you know, middle of the night, a uh, bit, bit sort of clouded over, I guess, but it's nothing obvious. Uh, but it just seemed to be coming from, you know, it wasn't just outside my ground sheet. It was everywhere across the whole park, across the whole area. Yeah. Um, you know, from every direction in rotating. And, and and just just a couple of weeks later, I was reading through some old UFO um, accounts. And um, I, I came across um, an account in Warrentown in South Africa, okay. where a farmer described as seeing a mothership, a, a giant mothership, and lots of little ships, mm. uh, or little um, balls of, of lights, etc. Yeah. Uh, traveling over his farm and he said that the mothership made a noise oh. like a vw beetle right okay so the vw beetle has is you, you may well know it's, it's a sideways rotary engine yeah and it has that distinctive yeah. as yeah. it goes around and, I, and as soon as i read that i thought that's it that's what that's what i heard i heard really? like that noise like a, a vw rotary engine. obviously a lot louder but that yeah. was a similar sort of thing that's interesting um yeah, so I, I did think that was that was interesting, and you know, and, and I was also slightly relieved that somebody had, <laughs> yeah. somebody else had heard something similar. Yeah. Um, so you sort of give a bit of um, corroboration to what I'd heard. So, I, I I I think that's you know that's a you know it was an audible experience, and I'm not even sure it was UFO related, but it was it was very strange, and I just think that fits in with the area. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Got a very excitable uh, doggy doggy in the back. I have, yeah. We've got a, we've got a young puppy in the back. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but I think I think she'll be going out soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got um, we've got two cocker spaniels. One's oh wow. And one's at seven months old. So yeah, they're very boisterous as well. No, it, it's, it's a mi- miniature snails that we've got. Oh bless. <laughs> <laughs> We're turning into crufts now, aren't we? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's a it's a really interesting story i've i've never heard of of, of it before um I, I did some research on you obviously before um before we did this pod, podcast and i mean what's what's your sort of gut reaction to it yeah so you, you in terms of you know about everything you would need for you know that you a, a a ufo event you've got you've got you know you've got your witnesses you've got these strange depictions in the church you've got the the um, layout of the land, which I, I detail, you know, matches Orion's uh, belt, um, uh, and the Orion constellation is at its highest currently, and it looks like it sits on top of the hills in February when the 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 uh, when it, it, the events are witnessed. But you've also got a, the military base. You know, if you wanted anything else, you know, for your checklist, military base. It has a military base at uh, Magpie Hill, which is one of the prominent hills, overlooks it directly. Um, and that that came after the the sightings, but it's it's one of the largest um, 
military bases in the United Kingdom holds the ammunition, about 60% of all ammunition for the armed forces, in, including probably um, tactical nuclear weapons at some point. So you, you've got, and, you know, all those things that build into a UFO story are in a relatively small area. Uh, which is why I think it, it is really fascinating. Mm. But in, in terms of what I, I think it is, I, you know, I go back to earlier on, I, I think, it, um, you know, the, the lights described as if affecting uh, the atmosphere, they seem to be something tangible, they seem to have intelligent some sort of control. Um, I, 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 I think they're probably closer to mechanical mm. or perhaps uh, plasma than, than anything sort of organic. But I, I think increasingly what's been showing now is, is um, through the work of like um, A.V. Loeb and, and people like this, mm. is that, you know, we send probes to other planets. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that they would send some probes to us first. Yeah. Or, you know, and different civilizations looking at, uh, with, looking at us with, rather than just, you know, park on the White House lawn would actually send yeah. some people, some, some, some crafts to have a look at it to see what's going on. And whether they were whether they, they focus on this area because it was a high point, so it's a bit of a reference point, mm. um, you know, before going off to check check other areas, mm. uh, I don't know. But something was drawing them there. But I, I suspect it's advanced civilization. So mm. you know, um, perhaps not necessarily interstellar, but advanced civilization um, probes um, that were that were drawn to this area for a particular point in time mm. um and and may well have been coming periodically for you know for a long time yeah it's, it certainly sounds like there's some well there's certainly some very strong historical evidence there isn't there especially with what's in the church i mean i think that's i think that's really quite astounding really um mm. what's in the local church and and I'd, I'd, I'd i'd love to have a look at that actually i think that's uh well, you must you must come up, Craig. Come come up, and I'll show you around. Okay. Yeah, no, it 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 does. It it sounds like a, an absolutely fascinating place. Um, where can people find the book then? Okay, so yeah, so the book's available on Amazon. Uh, the lights upon the hills, Richard Walkby, and you can um, get a, a Kindle copy uh, or the hard uh, copy, the paperback copy, uh, or there's even an audio book as well uh, they're all on there or at um, flying disc press yeah brilliant have you got any plans to do to do any other work yeah i'm, I'm researching a couple of things so um i like to look at light and dark so i'll deal with the dark first which is um looking at whether uh, nazi technology was responsible for some of the flying saucer oh. sightings in the 1950s Mm. So that that is a delicate topic mm. because um, you know obviously obviously despicable regime. Yeah. Uh, but the increasingly uh, there, there is evidence to show that actually there was some sort of presence, mm. uh, and they had the the Third Reich uh, had some sort of um, hangover after the yeah. uh, Second World War and was still in existence. Yeah. And the the again, if you look at the technology, the research uh, suggests very strongly that they had flying discs, flying saucer technology. Yeah. Um, and it's what happened to that really. Um, and uh, was it was it being used either by a Fourth Reich, uh, ourselves, or the Russians? Um, so 
that is it's quite hard going but f- fascinating but you know you always got in the back of your mind the, the terrible yeah, yeah loss of life that was responsible for that yeah, of course yeah yeah um so I'm, I'm looking at that uh, i'm also looking at a sort of uh working title of weird warwickshire which is covering not just ufo events but local myths and legends and um ghost sightings within warwickshire because it's a really you know like what like wiltshire it's a really ancient place and it's very special place i think warwickshire yeah and it's got these you know these these um, stories associated with it uh although you know from way back when to the, to the modern day so i'm looking at that and then the third project which is just a bit of an idea that's come to me which i think i'd like to look a bit more into is remote viewing and, oh, okay. and have a look at it and have a look and see how that all works but i think that'll be a bit more like a journey into <laughs> well so, you know, yeah it's interesting you should mention remote viewing because if if you um if you go back through um some of my one of my earlier podcasts uh, it was only about two or three months ago I interviewed um, a lady who is local she, in fact she's incredibly local she actually lives in the village where I live and I've known her for years <laughs> and I had absolutely no idea that she was a remote viewer oh, wow. um, the interview that I did with her um, I think it, it's one of the interviews that, that I'm most proud of because I think um, what she talks about is quite astonishing so um if you need to do any research on remote viewing then mandy is the person you need to talk yes oh yes i will do i'll definitely Uh, um i'll definitely sort of go back through and have a listen to that yeah i find i I think the military aspect and the the spy aspect Mm. um was really interests me as well and and how um you know a lot of resources money and resources uh, were, were put into it at at one yeah. point, and probably still are, and we yeah, probably yeah. won't know much about it. Especially, um, by, especially by the American military. I mean, there's the, uh, the 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 film, isn't there? The the men who stare at goats. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, which is is again is is very close to the the truth, if not mm-hmm. if not the yeah. the the truth. But I think it's right up until you know the Iraq War and Afghanistan, there was still calling on. Um, remote viewers and, and I think what, what interests me about that side of it is I suppose there will always there will always be the more spiritual sides of it which no doubt has its has its place mm. um, but I, I think when it's used as a tool mm. um, and, it, and it's and it's not necessarily um, attributed to, to spiritual means of getting these messages but actually you know the expanding of, of your mind and using yeah whatever you've got. And they reckon maybe, you know, maybe tens of thousands of soldiers mm. were, were trained up to try and, to try and do this. So, yeah. yeah so I think that's, that's a bit of a, uh, you know, another project I'd really like to put some time into. Yeah. They sound, uh, they sound really interesting. And I'd love to talk to you again, especially about the, um, the Nazi technology. I mean, as, as you quite rightly said, it's, it's a dark subject. Um, but I'd, I'd certainly love to talk to you about, any research you've done on that at some point in the future because um i think that is a that is a really interesting subject so um so yeah i'd I'd love to speak to you again at some point i've really enjoyed chatting with you about this um as i say i I didn't know anything at all about uh, about the story of the uh the burton dasset ufo events but um you've really given me something something to think about and, and i hope that the people listening to this this podcast have enjoyed it as much as i have because i've i've found it really fascinating yeah, thanks, Greg. So I really enjoyed the really enjoyed the talk, and yeah, hopefully we'll we'll speak again. 
Yeah, I'd love to. Definitely, I'll have to keep in touch and uh, and let me know when uh, when you finish your next project and uh, and we'll have another chat. Thank you and take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. I'm sure you'll agree that that was a really interesting conversation and I'd like to thank Richard for taking the time to come on the podcast and tell us all about his book Uh, and I urge everybody to go out and buy it because it is an absolutely fascinating story. It's extremely well researched and there's some really interesting aspects to it. So again, thank you Richard and uh, all the best with any new projects you've got upcoming. Uh, Remember you can have a look at my website which is www.craigbryant.co.uk where you can find uh, information about my book, this podcast and my upcoming projects. Thank you for listening. The Paranormal Pendle podcast will return. And in the meantime, remember to keep watching the shadows.